0: Is
1: now, and welcome to the SBK Crypto Podcast, 15 Minutes of Crypto failure. My name is Charles Story, I'll be your host for the next 15 minutes. Well, we're doing something different today. We're going to be taking a very special guest, and we're going to be finding out more about his journey, his story, and what he's currently up to at the minute. That guest today is Mr. Pavel Baines, CEO of BlueZell. If you haven't already heard of Blue Blue Zell combines decentralization and edge computing for a global network. Zell are very special because they're a real team that has been in the space since 2015-16 that has created a real product that's getting real usage and adoption. Now this is something that I really want to focus on. I really want to learn how Pavel did it. What are the secrets? How did he do it? What obstacles did he have to overcome and what is he excited about? That the future holds. So, with that in mind, let's get down to business. Let's jump straight into the interview. So, on the show today,
0: we have Pavel Baines, CEO of Bluezel. Pavel, how's it going? Hey, Charles, it's going excellent. Always good to talk to you, and uh, things are looking good and feeling good.
1: We love to hear that. Now, we've known each other for quite a while now. We've seen each other all around the world, and we've had you on the show. I think. Was it a year ago, maybe a year and a half, maybe, maybe even two years ago? And I knew we had to get you back on. So thank you so much for coming back onto the show and sharing with us your story. Well, always my pleasure. We'd love to hear that. So listen, why don't we start at the beginning where every great story begins?
0: Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So Pacific Northwest of uh, you know, Canada, U.S.
1: And around that kind of time period um when you were younger did you aspire to work in tech was that always an aspiration of you or or what where was your head at when you were younger what did you want to achieve and aspire to
0: become oh man if you go back to then it's like you're initially you know your initial thing is you read comic books and you want to figure out how to be a superhero <laughs> right <laughs> so it might have been like batman or wolverine is <laughs> what i want to be but uh <laughs> after that um uh, i came from a pretty good sports family so We went to school a lot, studied a lot, but also did sports. So I was really just thinking sports. So I used to run track and field a lot and I was like, all right, I'm going to basically go to the Olympics. That's, that's all it is. But on uh, I think probably on the education side still had top marks, but hadn't really figured that out. I was just thinking like I'm running track, my brother played basketball and that's basically what we did. Track and field and what were you running
1: 400, 800
0: or everything? Oh,
1: actually, eight eight hundred and fifteen hundred, so
0: um, wow. middle distance. Were you quick? I was all right. Like you know, I did the eight hundred and about one forty eight, so wow. I was decent. But um, it's funny, is I I learned. Uh, I'm almost like I have a weird mentality where it's like I go all out, and it's going to win, or go, or I don't want to do it. And I, you know, I I went as hard as I could. I was more of a a grinder and hard worker, but not as talented. So once I knew that, hey, you know what? This is hard. I'm not going to get to the Olympics, no matter how much I put in. I went as far as I could. I was like, all right, that's enough. Let me go do something else now.
1: And what was it that you went on to do? What, what, what was your pivot? Because it seems that you have kind of an obsessive, in a positive way, an obsessive mindset and attitude towards what you do. What, what was the next focus?
0: Well, that was then, uh, that was really during university. I realized in the first couple of years, like, hey, I'm not going to get to that level. And it wasn't good enough where like, yeah, it'd be cool to just be at a decent regional college level and keep doing it. I'm just like, well, if I can't go to the with the big guys, then no. Um, so I ended up basically just staying at school and did my degree in, in business, a business admin, and uh, wanted to learn that. And uh, yeah, so basically it was from there. It was just like, all right, do that. I always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I just didn't know exactly what it was at that time.
1: And what was young Pavel Baines like back then? Were you super focused on your work or were you out enjoying life? I mean, what what was what was kind of the day to day back then?
0: Um, I'm still because when you do track and this is a big thing about because you, you boxed, right? Before. Uh, absolutely. I'm currently in training camps. Yeah, yeah. so there's no drinking, there's there's no fun. So that's a great thing about sports, right? If you go if you push yourself to a high level, you just get an attitude of focus and discipline. And uh, so I wasn't really, I, you know, I enjoyed myself with my friends and hanging out, but I was still trying to figure out, okay, exactly what do I want to do and what type of uh, business area. I was still interested in really sports, entertainment, um, not too much into tech. I was just interested in, but not like I want to go deep into it. So I think after university, just kind of just worked around in different places of things I was kind of interested in, but still trying to figure it out.
1: I think sport gives you some amazing disciplines in life. Do you think you've kind of carried on what you've learned from from running track and the disciplines you had back then to to your later years? Do you think you've brought anything with you from that experience?
0: Oh, that's, I think that's, that's the best thing is you carry it every day, the, the ability to okay. You know, I can't go really meditate and do things like that. I can do it for a short period, but not long period. My meditation is you got to get up in the morning go do a workout, and even if you're not feeling like it, even if I go for like a 12-minute, 15-minute hard walk, I feel better for the whole day. So that kind of keeps you more sane. And I think the whole discipline act of, hey, when you need to focus in and block things out, it's like, I got to just get this done and zone out here. And it's like, whether it's like, you know, a time crunch for technology like a milestone push or something that you can just, you're able to just shut things off and just focus in. So I think it's something that everybody... Uh, I wish everybody could get an opportunity to not just play sports for fun but do something at a high level so they can just carry that kind of attitude uh with the rest of them rest of their lives.
1: Bring it with you I love that I love that so where did so where did your career begin? Where did it all start? well
0: it was funny was um I was working i got an internship at the Vancouver Grizzlies when they were in Vancouver. <laughs>
1: And for the listeners that don't know, can you tell them who the Vancouver Grizzlies are? Okay,
0: so anybody who watches the NBA, uh, there's a team called the Memphis Grizzlies. So they were originally in Vancouver, an expansion team into Vancouver. And then uh, the you know owner sold it. The new one came in and ended up just moving it to Memphis, which is too bad because even David Stern, the uh, head of the NBA, he says, we really messed that up. Because they really missed it by a couple of years because if they just stuck around, all of a sudden Vancouver just took off the downtown and the people who were interested when the Grizzlies were first there were just in university and high school. So they had no money to go to the games. All of a sudden, all these people are working, living downtown where the games are. They would have gone, they would have sold out every state, every game since then. So anyways, I uh, got an internship with the Grizzlies worked with them for a while. And that was my real exposure because I wanted to be um, uh, just because I was into sports and it was good to just be around that still uh, the, that kind of atmosphere and then after that i um, really uh started working into uh, worked, uh from internship uh started working for one of the bigger restaurant holding companies in Van- in Vancouver in the finance side and then from there went to video games
1: wow yeah. so went from sports to restaurant management to video games now was it what because you were a chartered accountant, right? That was what you studied to become. So, was it the financial side of things that you were doing at uh, the Grizzly Bears? I know you're an intern there, but was it more the financial side? Because that's what you were doing on the on the restaurant side of things as well. And did that lead you into the gaming spaces? Was that the path that you took? No,
0: it was. So, in the Grizzlies, I was in the marketing and communications, just putting the packages together for PR uh, during the games. The guys are radio personalities. I would run them the scoreboard, the the, the, the stats. Cause that's not when everything was online. So you just run down and give them a piece of paper, you know, do that. Oh my gosh. Um, And, (laughs) and then what I did was I actually didn't go to school for finance. It was, I was mainly in the business degree. It was a general one. And then after uh, a couple of my friends had done the chartered financial analyst program, the CFA. So it's, it's like, it's a hardcore one. And I was like, well, I can do this. And so I just went and did the test and taught it to myself. And the reason I think I did it was because, uh, in biz, you know, I thought like, hey, if I can just understand finance, no matter what happens, at least I can always get a job doing something like this. Crunching numbers. <laughs> it was really that. Uh, just getting an understanding of it. And I think for anybody who's listening, who's in, more entrepreneurial and into product and design, business school is actually the worst thing for that. And so if I could go back, I would actually gone and done a major in um, design communications or engineering because that allows you to actually build product. When you do a business degree, you just learn how to like work for a company and certain aspects of the business. You don't actually learn how to build a product. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So there's a big difference there.
1: Do you do you, I mean like with your story though, you've you've managed to come around that. So what you're saying is if you're looking to achieve, you're looking to aspire and create and build cool stuff, Maybe studying a business isn't isn't the most strategic move you can
0: make. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's the wrong move. Unless your thing is, I just want to do business as work for, you know, whether you want to go work at a hedge fund or directly into finance. But if your thing is, hey, I want to build the next Nike or, you know, the next Spotify or just a creative type of, or a product, business isn't. You can, you can learn all that stuff after. Like get some books right. and teach to yourself basic accounting and things like that or take a night course just to have that understanding or hire, you know, good accountants. But if your real thing is business and on the product side, doing a business degree is, uh, is not the right thing.
1: Now with your academic studies, was that something that you wanted to do? Was that pressure from your parents or was that something you just wanted to achieve and have under your belt?
0: It was more that it's like almost an obligation. Like you grow up, uh, my, my parents, graduated from school, all their friend all their siblings did. So it's more like, hey, you're just supposed to go do that. So it was never real pressure. Like right. go to school is like, yeah, I finished high school. I ran better bit of track in school. Now I'll finish my degree. I think now going forward, it's kind of changed a bit where if you know exactly what you want to do, let's just say, you know, you want to be a graphic designer, do you need to go to four years for that? Maybe a two-year uh a two-year school, which is specifically focused on graphic design is good enough because then you can go out there and start working and producing. So I think the, a lot of it's changed now with online tools, what you can learn uh, that the four-year degree isn't completely necessary.
1: I completely agree. So how did you, because you ended up working at Disney, how did that come together?
0: Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, you know, finished uh, Grizzlies, worked for the restaurant holding company, uh, it was a good experience. The, the CEO is still one of my mentors and good friends to this day. Uh, he was basically the same age as my dad when he brought me uh, when I started working there. So it taught me a lot. Uh, but he knew that, hey, he asked me, he's like, hey, you want to keep going in restaurants here? And I was like, well, nah, I don't really have a big passion for it, like doing restaurants. And he knew that too. He knew I was more into the creative side, digital media, tech. Uh, you know, you grow up playing video games. So fortunately, after that, I started just doing some – Vancouver is a good video game hub. So I started working with some guys and just doing video game deals, like more on the business development side, just to get my feet wet. Uh, just doing like, hey, you're a game studio, you need some marketing help, or, you know, sell it to a publisher to get your game bought and out there. So I started doing some small projects around there, and then eventually uh, got to work for – Disney had a studio in Vancouver – and I got, wow. and I was able to go to there and start working and really get into the game business. How did you land that job? Uh, funny story is the CFO of <laughs> the Disney's game division, like studio division. He actually wanted to hire me two years earlier at Electronic Arts when he was there, and he didn't end up. He didn't end up doing it, which I was kind of mad about. And then he was looking for somebody to help him out at Disney. And a mutual friend of ours, we both knew somebody, and the guy recommended to the was say, like, well, you know, Pavel, you know, he's he'd be good for this. You should bring him on. And uh and then yeah, the CFO brought me on there, liked it. He knew me already from before, and he said, All right, why don't you just come here and work with me?
1: And what did you learn from working with, with Disney, such a powerhouse corporation?
0: Oh, a funny story is Disney is not just because it's Mickey Mouse, it's not the and the house of mouse, it's not like super it's not the brand like it's not all fun and games there Disney's actually run right. by numbers guys like every role the person in marketing the person in maybe head of the gm they're all finance people and like and then they they move into marketing <laughs> or product uh you know and uh, they go to and because disney's so massive you could be in gaming but you have no passion for it so you just go oh okay there's a bigger opening with a bigger title that Disney cruises I'm jumping over there. So it's, it's interesting in a sense that, uh, the gaming side actually for Disney and uh, when they try to develop their own games in house has never worked. And I think it's because of that culture of game companies work when it's super passionate people who like to make games. And when Disney just didn't have that ingrained in it, it just doesn't work as well,
1: but you do say, so, but you, you think that sounds like the numbers guys being there and, and it being serious business and it, the, the passion being taken out of it a little
0: bit, the kind of corporate culture? Oh, totally. Because like I said, what if you were head of marketing for Disney gaming division? And all oh, right, I'm into it, but oh, there's a senior VP of marketing available at Disney Cruises, as I said, I'm going to hop over there. Game people who are into games and media, they don't leave, right? They love making that type of right. product. Or at Disney, you're actually going to there. But regardless, they did. They run a super tight ship. They know exactly what's going on at all times, at all divisions. Um, so it really allowed me to get that type of understanding of how to run a tight ship, how to make certain tough decisions, and just to be on top of things. So it's uh, regardless of what I'm saying is run by numbers, it teaches you a lot in that experience, in that environment there. So I think anybody who's left there, it says the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, how did how did Blue Zell come into the picture? Because you're you're at Disney, uh, you're working your way up the corporate ladder, you're enjoying it, you're learning,
0: you're moving forward. What was the pivot? Well, actually, actually, I wasn't even working at the corporate ladder. That's the one thing I didn't want to do. So, I was always more into the independent side and more a bit of an entrepreneurial side, but never really dove in fully. So, I went to uh, at Disney after a while um, in an independent studio in Vancouver. Uh, uh, I knew of needed somebody in like in a GM operations role, so I went. I went and started working for them instead because then you're not if you're independent studio, you're not working just with Disney people. You actually have to go work with Electronic Arts, Activision, Atari, and understand different aspects of it, and you have more control over your environment. So that's what I like doing. But then after that, uh, you know, we made some great games, worked with EA, great projects. Uh, after a while, you get tired of doing content. And it was like, okay, I don't want to do digital media anymore. Kind of understand that, but I want to go really deep into tech. You just kind of get some weird things that you get into. And that's when, you know, you discover Bitcoin and blockchain and go, wow, like everybody else, you kind of get that that little taste. And it's like Alice in Wonderland. You just start reading more and more, go down the rabbit hole of what blockchain can do, uh, how the interesting aspects of it, how it touches everything. Uh, I was into distributed computing, economics, went to school for that. And it kind of blockchain and cryptocurrency kind of ties all that together. And so that's when I was like, all right, let's build something. New. Let's build a company around here.
1: And w- so when you were working at Disney, w- where was that based? Was that in Canada, Vancouver? Yeah.
0: So Disney was, they have, so it's Disney Interactive Studios. They had a bunch of studios that they owned that were making Disney games. One of them was in Vancouver. So I didn't, but i that was called Propaganda Games, but I didn't work for Propaganda. I actually, uh, the person I worked with, the CFO, we were both part of Disney Interactive. So we looked after seven studios, but we were were housed in Vancouver because there was a studio there and we already lived there.
1: So when you discovered blockchain, that was, you were based in Vancouver at the time, um, and you're, you're doing a lot of reading. Did you go into, was there any meetups at that time? I mean, what kind of year was this when you when you first started delving into the blockchain community? Oh yeah, that was
0: uh, 2015. And there was a small community in Vancouver, which is really cool. Like you would, um, literally this place was in downtown Vancouver. It was in the basement of an old building. And I'm not joking. You went in there, it looked like a dungeon. There, But these guys, <laughs> they, had, they had a Bitcoin ATM in there. They had, uh, you know, kind of mining uh, rigs set up, cats running around, and it was just cool. Like every, think two weeks, if you know, you just go there, talk, and kind of understand, learn. Um, I remember one time, they actually able to bring in uh, what was the guy's name who ran the Silk Road, Ross Albright. Oh yes, so, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they did a. Uh, you know, basically a web conference with his mom, just to just to see what his she wanted to talk about his plight, what uh, what she think w- was wrong, and things like that. And just it was just rad, like weird things like that would happen. Wow. I remember, <laughs> like if you took like like somebody who didn't understand the space down there, like if I took him as a friend down there, hey, come check that out. He'd be like, you guys are bizarre. This is weird. What are you guys doing here? But it was awesome.
1: That's 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 a great that's a great community hub. I got to go check that out in Vancouver. Is
0: it still there? Uh, I don't think so. A bunch of the guys ended up after twenty fifteen. A lot of them moved to different parts of the world. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. So is that where Blue Zell? Did you go down there and share the idea of Blue Zell there? Where where was the Blue Zell formulated? Where did that idea come to? Um,
0: no, there we were just all. Kicking around ideas, sharing stuff. And then uh, through it, met my co-founder, CTO, Neerage. Uh Both of us were into blockchain, didn't really know what we want to do. So we're like, why don't we just start a company and we'll just start doing development work and figure out what we want to do with it, right? We don't know exactly what we want to do. We just want to do something. And so the initial name we called it was just because we needed a name. We called it Blue Street. Just for whatever and uh from that we decided uh you know eventually like okay the street's not working let's get a proper name came up with Buzel, and then realized then that okay maybe that was when bitcoin is really in its downturn and then people were more focused on blockchain and not on the currencies and so we said well if we're gonna do the blockchain type of work and it's in finance. We probably need to go to a better area than Canada because that's not really the place to be for, it's not a finance hub. And that's when we decided in early 2016 to basically move to Singapore and start doing uh, projects out here on the blockchain. And we were able to do work with some of the banks like HSBC, insurance company AIA, another Japanese bank MUFG. So we did stuff around uh, digital identity insurance on the blockchain, and then from that, uh, doing that work is when we realized that when we're building these applications out of, uh, you know, basically, we built this stuff on Ethereum, but we're like, hey, there's parts of it that we have to still do in a centralized place, like the database and file storage. And then we started going down those, my CTO said, you know what? Imagine a thing that would have solved our problems and been really beneficial and actually has a bigger play eventually is a decentralized Database, so it was doing that work with these banks that kind of uh, put that light bulb in her head of building out a building out what BlueZell is, a decentralized data storage.
1: Wow, I mean, you know, this this kind of brings me to one of my favorite questions: Why do you why is blockchain important today, and how is BlueZell like? What's why, why is blockchain important to BlueZell in particular?
0: For us, the pain point we see is that I mean, you guys see it every day now. Uh, over the past two years, the amount of data breaches and hacks that are happening in centralized places is getting out of control. And it's probably going to get worse because the amount of data that's being exchanged between, uh, created and then exchanged between people because of all our devices and applications is exponentially growing. IoT is going to proliferate more. That's going to put more burden on that. So I think centralized systems just aren't equipped to handle it. now doing a decentralized data store is saying, Hey, let's take the ideas of Bitcoin blockchain and say, let's take all that data storage, but split it up into a vast network where not one thing is in control. And if one server goes down doesn't bring the whole server network down, like in a centralized place, everything can stay alive. And no one can really break in unless they try to take over the entire network. So the blockchain principle is I don't think the product we made would work unless it was decentralized
1: and how was when you first announced this to to the general market I'm sure you went back to the banks that you were kind of working with before what was that what was that interest level like? Was this something that was like Wow, you guys have figured it out' or was it like hmm kind of explain it to us right like what what was people's interest back then or was this something that was people just understood and it made sense straight away
0: uh, we didn't go back to the banks because our experience of Uh, working with them during that time is the banks really have no immediate need to move on anything. They want to do this stuff as pilots and experiments and that was one of the reasons we wanted to build out our own tech because we didn't want to keep bashing our heads against the wall of trying to convince a bank why blockchain works, why crypto is, as opposed to some just vanity uh, projects, science projects that they want to do for fun. So we didn't really want. It. We knew that hey, these guys aren't going to trust a decentralized database. They, they they barely trust cloud right now. Uh, but the area that did understand it was when you talk to blockchain developers and the blockchain crypto community, they understood that yeah, if we're all going decentralized and we have decentralized operating systems, we do need decentralized file storage things like storage and file coin. So it makes sense that you need decentralized data as well, and what the benefits are so those guys got it right away and that gave us further uh, motivation to pers- go down that path
1: now that's something very special there because your journey from from being in vancouver to singapore to figuring figuring out bluesdale to really having an edge in the market is is incredible and i know bluesdale has been making massive Headway in the in the blockchain community as well, but something that a lot of people once they knew you 're coming on the show today wanted to know was you know what 's changed for Blue over the last nine months with the recent market pullback? How have you guys managed to steer through
0: this oh it 's hyper focus like it goes uh, that that 's the best way to put it is you, you know when everything was really hot hot and going in two thousand and eighteen or to summer two thousand and eighteen You know you're thinking that okay i'm building i'll give an example like we're building this data storage database and everybody can use it Uh, but you haven't really taken the time to define okay who was your first base customer you're thinking that oh it'll just work you know everybody's going to adopt it it's going to go fine and you kind of lose that base stuff of proper product development and i think almost the entire industry did so for us it got down to like hey what do we have to do right now to get a customer? We can't just be general that hopefully everybody catches up or wait five years for you know, decentralized apps to take off. So our main thing was, what have we built? What what would we launch right now that could get us early customers and whose pain points are we solving right now? Not six months from now, not two years from now, but right now. If you're a typical you know Silicon Valley type of startup, right? Um, so I think that was really big for us. And what we learned was, hey, doing the ultimate database is going to take a while because if a company, especially if we want to go for mass adoption, you know, bigger companies, not blockchain ones, for them to trust it, they're going to want to have it to be super reliable, super credible, because this is their main data they're storing. And so you're going to have to go through a lot of selling points to get to there. So what we decided was, well, what can we put out now, which is based on what we have. So what we really focused on, and stop me if I'm just rambling, is um, no, no, of course. Is I asked my product development guy Andrew. who was like, hey, what can we do right now? And he said, database is the ultimate goal. We will get there, but if we want to get customers now, he goes, what we can be really great at is a data cache. And so, for the people who don't know what a data cache is, it's almost a server that sits beside a database. And what happens is, data that has to be regularly accessed, it'll go to the cache as opposed to the main database, because then it takes the workload off the main database and gives faster results to whatever application it is. Now, my head of product, he said, you know what, the main cache that's used around the world right now is Redis. Redis is a database, but their cache is used by everybody. Right now, ours is testing faster than that. And if we roll that product out, now we can give people an alternative saying, hey, run whatever database you want. You don't have to... Zell database is coming later you can use what you want but you know what you can use this for right now instead of using Redis, use Blue Zell as a cache beside your database and we'll perform 20 times faster. So if anything the nine months was that hyper focus of hey data storage is the big goal database is the big goal but what can we roll out as a product right now? And what we learned was let's just even if it's niche, let's just go and be a great cache. Wow.
1: You're, tw- you're 20 times faster. That's, that's impressive.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and the reason <laughs> that is, is because it's decentralized. We figured out how to use decentralization to build a, uh, a technology that allow us to be that fa- that much faster than a, a traditional centralized one.
1: Within the BlueZelle community. Um, there's a lot of discussion on the comparison between Blue Zell and Oracle. I mean, is this something that you aspire to
0: be? It would be. I, I think cool. Oracle is probably the wrong one now because Oracle was great. It's, it's one of the older companies, but it is losing market share to uh, the new ones that have come out during the cloud area, like MongoDB and even Redis on the enterprise side is taking away a lot of market share from uh, Oracle. So if anything, I guess it'd be the next evolution is to, I guess an easy way to say it is to be the, uh it'd be more, it's interesting is as a, I guess as a pure one-on-one database comparison, you could say that, hey, our goal is to be just as big as Oracle for this new internet. But even now when we break it down, because what we're doing is because we're not technically like, a server that you spin up on its own. We're a network that people store onto, and the servers are everywhere. So you're almost like more like how Akamai is like a cloud. They're a, they're a content delivery network that you go on, and data is delivered or content's delivered everywhere. What we're kind of almost saying is that no, we're going to be a data delivery network because you're not really spinning up a Blue server or a Blue database. You're just, on, you're just storing your data on the network, and it's everywhere. So it's kind of a, a shift in thinking. Because when we describe it to people, people go like, "Oh, you're going to be like, you're like Akamai for data or Cloudflare for data."
1: Um, And at the time, you guys build out on Ethereum. Do you think in the future you'll look to other protocols to maybe include some of the benefits that that other protocols out there um, have, or do you think you'll be you'll be sticking solely of Ethereum?
0: Well, right now we are we're not a blockchain. Because otherwise we wouldn't get, we wouldn't be able to store data in a fast pace. What we use is, you know, blockchain principles and technology. So we are our own protocol, our own technology from scratch. Where we use Ethereum is to manage our nodes and keep them, and keep right. consensus, find bad actors, and just make sure the network works. Now, we'll definitely be open to, hey, maybe Ethereum is not the best one for managing it might be other blockchains that are better for running our nodes or piggybacking off of. But our goal is, once it, once a full database is ready, or even as a data cache, is to basically be off-chain storage for any blockchain protocol. So if you're building an application on Ethereum or EOS, and you go, hey, I need to store my data somewhere on the database site, oh, BlueZell's already integrated in. Let me just go to that.
1: Right, right and that's something that i guess you guys will be building out in, in the foreseeable future as 100%. Well. I love to hear that. Now AWS is a is a sort of centralized version of what you're doing. Um you know how how do you think blue Zell is more
0: superior? Is it just the speed? Well, for the for the time being as a cache it uh the big thing we got from so a, a good way to explain how a cache works and this kind of goes to what it is is like one focus area that we're going after now when you're talking about what we learned in nine months is okay we're going to be a cash but a cash for who data cash for who okay what's a good market it's actually video games going back to the story so charles you make a video game it's going to be like fortnight uh, you set up the database in london where you are and the cash to speed up that database in london but now the game took off in india those players because it has to When they're playing behind the scenes, it's got to go all the data to get grabbed to make the gameplay awesome, has to go all the way back to London. They start experiencing slowdowns and latency. Now they might get frustrated and leave. So you, Charles get this ping saying, oh wait, we better do something. So you find a data center in India, could be AWS, and say, hey, replicate my database with the data cache over there so it can solve this problem. Done, took you a bunch of time. You might've irritated some customers who might've left. Well, that's happened. Now, all of a sudden the game takes off in the United States. Oh no! What I got to do? You go back to there and start. Uh, you replicate that whole process again. I spin up another database, set a data cache, and do it all over again. Um, that takes a lot of effort. Now, with a decentralized data cache or data network like BlueZell, remember our servers are already there, so you don't actually have to spin anything up. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so your service
1: being all around the world makes it quicker to access. That's right.
0: And now the big thing is, so now this to the customer, no matter whether they're in Johannesburg, the Ukraine, India, Korea, they're playing because whenever they need to retrieve something, it's hitting the blue zone network and saying, where's the data center closest to it? Oh, it's decentralized. There's a node already in Korea. There's one in South Africa. There's one there. You as a developer, Charles, you didn't have to do anything. So, that is a big point, not just the speed, but when we're talking to developers, network engineers, and like the fact that I don't have to manage any more servers and be like, I want to make games. I don't want to be an IT company. So, that is a big thing that's offered from us.
1: And what do you think some of the barriers are for Blues Out at this current point in time, if, if any? You know, is there anything that's holding you back or anything that you see holding back? Maybe the entire industry at this current point in time.
0: Well, for us, uh, tons of barriers. The main thing is product works; it's looking good. Uh, the main thing is is prove it out, not to ourselves, but getting those for getting that first batch of customers. So, for us, that's really the goal. Is you know whether you know the blockchain community, the crypto community likes you, and everybody's excited. That end customer still, we're still a startup, right? to uh, traditional companies. So getting them to finding, hey, which companies within there are interested, will go for it, love what we're doing and sign up. So that's the main thing is customer acquisition. So our first version of the product is coming out next week on May 20th. And that's going to be open to, hey, people sign up. We want to select certain customers that we can go in, pilot, publish those results then that allows us to go wider release to more companies out there that can say, hey, this thing is awesome, looks good, I want to sign up. So really that's the big thing is that education side and getting that first wave of customers.
1: Now BlueTel has done an amazing job working with some big names like BT, British Telecom in a small amount of time. I mean, what what partnerships or what companies are you most proud of to to have worked with thus far?
0: It would be, I guess, uh, British Telecom has been great because they, you know, gave us a bunch of uh, servers um, scattering around the world so it can test our network. So we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, going and acquiring, um, you know, managing a bunch of nodes, or, uh, sorry, acquiring a bunch of nodes, opening it up, can, hey, we've got some servers, it's unused capacity. We can build, we can prove it out with a good company and it shows stability in the network. So when we go get new customers, they can say, hey, this stuff works and it's run on there. So that'll allow us to get, once everything is running properly, it'll allow us to get more partners like BT on there. I think, and then over the next couple months, uh, we've got some others that we've been working with on the customer side and uh, partnership side that will be able to uh, push out those results as well. Oh, sorry there's one question oh, sorry there's one question that I didn't skip it was when you talk about the industry as a whole barriers um, there I think everybody's building great products in tech and I think what's gonna really make it go is like kind of like what we learned right is instead of going general with your solution even go hyper focused for a, even if it's a small segment it might be it might not be big enough for the entire world right now, but if it's small enough right now that you can go and prove your product out and people are using it, then you can grow from there. So I think that's going to be the big thing is everybody who's built great products out there like you know, over this crypto winter and you're seeing lots of it yourself, Charles, is people just getting hyper-focused and saying, let's get that first wave of customers no matter how small or large or whatever niche they're in, at least it proves it out. And then on I think on the customer side, and I, I think it's same as most people probably agree and say is for the average person to start using crypto, they just need a better user experience. Um, make it easier. So it's, I think Charles, you would agree that even for the people who's experienced in crypto, it still is almost a stressful situation when you're sending any money. Cause it, did I get the address right? Do I do a track test confirmation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now imagine being a newbie in that, right? It'll drive oh, so yeah. So right. that user experience once, that gets nailed down, and people are comfortable with it. That's going to open the floodgates.
1: I completely agree. So it's focus on focus on the small things. Get the first couple of clients in, build that up, and and take that approach as your as your recommendation to any other startups. Yeah, thing.
0: and then for us, what we learned was when we're talking to, like I said, CTOs, network engineers of traditional game companies, you don't you don't want to lead with, "Hey, well, why should I use your?" You know, your data network, your data cache. Oh, because it's, de- oh, it's decentralized. It uses blockchain. It does this, this, this. They're like, yeah, that's making me think too much. And when they think of blockchain, they think of new technology they got to learn. Um, what we realize that don't lead with that. When they ask me, Pavel, okay, what is this, what's this going to do for me? Uh, you know, you've written up these features. What's it do? And I just said, at the heart of it, it'll make your games run faster around the world. You don't have to spin servers up yourself. So it's going to save you a bunch of headache and your customer is going to be happier. Okay, I'm interested now. How it's done on the back end of it being decentralized was for later. So that, don't don't worry. Yeah, about they that. didn't they, and these are even tech guys, they didn't worry about it because when they think about if you're going after customers, you want to give the benefit. And once you said we said blockchain to them, it was more about and it wasn't anything negative about blockchain. It means to them like, okay, that's new tech, that's something I got to research and understand. I don't know. But if you lead with the benefits and you prove it to them, they, then they're like, oh, yeah, I trust the back end works. Oh, it happens to be blockchain. Cool. All right.
1: And do you feel that other companies should adopt that? Because there's many companies out there that we both see who are like, oh, we're, we're blockchain, we're blockchain, we're blockchain. And really, they've got blockchain in an element of what they do. But they're trying to like market themselves as a pure blockchain play. Do you feel that, you know, that may be holding you back a little bit and it's just kind of focusing on what you do? Why why are you faster than everybody else? Why are you better? What's your edge? And and rather telling that story, right, instead of of just saying, oh, we use blockchain, don't worry about
0: it. It would be, yeah, I think it depends on the customer. So let's just say you're going after banks and insurance companies and fintech and they have departments that are just looking for blockchain. So then it's easier to go to them and be like, we're blockchain for this, because these guys just want to do innovative pilots and projects. But if you're going for customers with, with a real pain point that you want to try to build a real product that can scale and not just be um, you know, POCs, then I think you have to lead with that benefit. Like, So for us, like that pain point I said, if I go to a game company and say, you don't know where your next customer is, and if you lose that customer because they popped up in a region that you're not there, you're going to lose them and you lost money. And they're like yeah what if i can solve that great how do you do it? yeah i'm interested so i think that uh, right. so it really so if you're going for those type of customers like we described where the blockchain is behind the scene then lead with the benefit to that buyer
1: right make make your case clear yeah <laughs> so for the listeners that are out there and many of them are founders of, of different like blockchain projects and DApps, when should they consider working with bluezell at what stages should
0: they reach out if they're a DAP and they are targeting a global audience, um, so any any project out there that's targeting a global audience and, and is really focused on let's say what we call is the retail person or the end consumer, not B two B. If they have that person, then they should uh, consider us right away. Because if they're building an application, whether it's gaming, uh, you know, media streaming, ad network, or any type of thing that touches a consumer where speed matters they should actually consider us right away.
1: And what's the best way to engage with you guys? Is it reaching out on the Telegram page? Is it sending an email? Uh,
0: the two is uh, uh, the Twitter community. We like engaging there. That's really fast. So we're at, at HQ. Or like I said, next week is come to the website, bluezell.com, um, sign up for, to the newsletter or the wait list that we're going to be putting out and then go through our tech documentation so they can see that, hey, this is really actually easy to integrate and we can get going right away.
1: And does BlueZile accept fiat? Because you're working with some really big clients. And I assume they're not, they're not paying in tokens themselves, right? Or how does that work?
0: Yeah, that's something we've had discussions in-house and with other companies too. And I think every, all the blockchain companies are going to do is that we're going to have to set up payment systems that accept fiat. Because if you're going to, let's say if, I'm, if it's blockchain companies, yeah, they understand this stuff. But if you're going for traditional, let's say, game companies or traditional software companies, you don't want to have friction where I want to use your product, but I got to get a token, I got to do this, set up a wallet. Seems like a pain. So I think uh, what we're going to do is set up payment gateways that gets fiat on the front end, but in the back, we'll go and convert it into tokens and make the model work.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm seeing a lot of people doing that as well now. Just because, as you said, you need to build up your client list. And if that's if that's holding you back from doing that, then you need to change that, yeah. right? And that's something that, you know, the whole industry, I think, as a as a whole is is p- moving and pivoting towards. But um, I was really interested, uh, one person that reached out to me um that knew you were going to be on the show today asked the following question Have you dealt with how have you dealt with market volatility affecting Blue Zell? Uh, related to your two token strategy of the blz and the bnt needed to use the platform how have you dealt with that well
0: for us uh the internal token hasn't been set yet because that's gonna that's gonna come live when we open up the supply side and people can stake and have the network run super fast but for the next you know six months when we roll out the product now get a first wave of customers we can just manage that on our own while we figure out the ideal payment side and then with uh market volatility once everything goes live and go to pay it's every the service is going to be basically in us dollars because that's what the end customer understands and then the back right. end we convert into the equivalent in terms of our token to satisfy that
1: i like to hear that and last but not least like what are you mostly excited about pavel like what does the future hold what's getting you out of bed in the morning what's getting you excited
0: I think this, just seeing this whole space, just, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I mean, you've seen it, everybody who's still in it, right. Has seen it over the past six months (laughs) and the ups and downs, like the madness of it, but then you still get up and be like, the stuff is really cool. And we're really, everybody's trying to make something that works. New models are being done and in fascinating new ways that just are mind boggling. So you're, you're always stoked about that. Like, even um, not just uh, data storage or what we're doing, like building a new type of data system. Other projects, like even just like you know how decentralized finance and new models are coming up. Of people are doing lending and using the smart contracts. It's just super fascinating things that you just can't. You know, you have those uh, those down days, but then you look at the stuff that's being done and crazy things happening, and you're like, wow, this stuff. Once it's all figured out and it comes together, it's going to be amazing. And to say that, hey everybody who's been in it for the past year and uh, still in it, or even if not, they can be like, Hey, we were part of that process. So I think that is a really cool thing. And that comes from not just us on the development side, but even, you know, before you guys got into the fun side, just being SVK crypto, being like the media and promoting it and talking to founders, those guys involved there guys, YouTube, like that whole ecosystem is just amazing thing (laughs) that we're all part of this.
1: We can't wait for your arrival, Pavel. We'll get the red carpet out and uh, we're definitely going to do a big meetup. We're super excited for that. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really, really appreciate your time as always and uh, your insight, your knowledge. And thank you so much for sharing your story. So with that in mind, that's a wrap. I've got to bounce. Thank you so much for your time and attention as always. If you haven't already, subscribe to the SVK Crypto Podcast. Hit us up on Telegram. If you type in SVK Crowd, you'll find us. Follow us on Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. And if you have an EOS project or want to get in touch with us, feel free to email myself, cstory, C S T O W R Y at svkcrypto.com. That's a wrap and I've got to bounce.